Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this space to worship you. We thank you for an opportunity to pursue you, God, and to celebrate you, for you are worthy. Now, Lord, as we begin to be encouraged by your word, calm our minds, uh, that our hearts would be able to hear from you. Illuminate your word, that it would speak to us and change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, this week we had a great time of uh, getting out. By we, I mean Pastor Kay and I. Uh, we took a walk, got out in the community a little bit, and uh, we did the craziness of Halloween trick-or-treating. Kids, if you got some candy this week, let me see your hand. If you got some candy, okay, okay. Now let me see the candy that you brought for Pastor Leon. Where, 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 where my, oh, see all the hands went down. Okay, it's all right, Eliana. I got you later. I got you later. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we had a good time. We was able to get out a little bit, took the, little, the two little ones with us, walking the streets, had some fun. Uh, I also had my boys with us, and so my boys are a little bit older, and I started realizing soon that we were going real slow because the little ones got little legs. So I told the boys, y'all can go ahead, stay on this side of the street. When you get to the end, come right back to me. They did that for two blocks. That got real quick, so I was like, you know what? When y'all get back to me, I'm going to let y'all go to the other side. I walked them across the street, so we, with the little ones, we just hit one side. They hit both sides. So there's this one time I'm like, cool, at the end of the block is the church. When you get done, meet me at the church. We get to the corner, I don't see the boys at the church. So now inside, I'm like, everything cool, but I'm a little nervous. So I start walking back to look for them. Kay keeps both of the kids. I'm walking past, and before I know it, I see that the cars are starting to build up. There's a bit of a little bit of a traffic jam. And as I go further down the street, I get to the center of the traffic jam, and now I hear the voices. Those voices that when somebody ain't really too excited about somebody else's presence, you know something about to go down. All I see is a lady say, well, he shouldn't have said it to me. Boom, slam her door. Now, don't, don't slam your own door, but she slammed her door, come around the car. Now, she's kind of in this lady's face, and, and, and there's a man who evidently said something to her. But it's starting to calm down. And I'm like, hey, y'all, the kids are out here. Let's just relax. Like, it's, it's Halloween. It's starting to calm. Nine cars away, this woman comes out. <laughs> now, she tell off everybody and then walks away. I don't, right, you know? Now, I don't know exactly what she said. What I do know is the man that maybe instigated a little bit was trying to calm it down and get his girl back in the car. As this woman got two cars away from him, she said something that snapped him. And he got angry, so angry that he's following this woman now for two car lengths and is saying, I wish you would stop because if you do, da 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 But she don't stop, praise him. She keeps walking, and he starts to calm down a little. But 
but, but I've seen that anger. You've seen that anger where something has been building up in you. Something has been like storing up in you and, uh, and somebody hit that one trigger point that you just let it all out. Family, that type of tension, that type of, that type of explosive nature is something we all know, but it unfortunately isn't just familiar to us as people, as individuals. We can relate as people. So I, I'm, I'm raising that point of tension so that we can today highlight something that's happening at a bigger scale. This conflict of Israel and Palestine, it's one that has been taking some time to boil. And I was trying to like focus on an evangelism series this week, and the Lord just kept saying, like, you know we're in the midst of war, right? Not, not we, not us, not you and I, but a part of our nation is at war, and there are hearts that are breaking, families that are grieving, and you're just going to keep talking about evangelism. So no, I'm not. This week, we're going to talk a bit about this war that is taking place with the hope of understanding uh, a little bit more of God's heart and God's desire for people, people who reflect him. I want to say, though, first that uh, I have prayed, I have read, I have studied, I have listened to people from a variety of sides, uh, and I will say that I am not an expert. There are uh, Jewish historians that debate this among themselves, Palestinian historians that debate this among themselves. Then you get them all in a room, and it gets even crazier. This is a complex topic, and I don't plan to unravel it all. But I also know you're hearing a lot of voices. And as your pastor, it would not be wise of us to know that there are many voices that seek to grab your attention and we not speak to it from a God-centered perspective. So it is our attempt to equip you to live for the Lord. So join with me as we turn to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to start, Genesis chapter 12. It's a familiar verse that helps to set some of the background. The kids are right now thinking of which piece of candy they're going to bring for Pastor Leon next week. It's cool with that. Genesis chapter 12. Someone know what page that's on? 15. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a promise given unto Abraham. Abraham is a, is a historical patriarch in the Jewish faith. He is a, a founding pillar, if you will. He's one that you're like, hey, uh, things flow through Abraham down to the people, and God wants to care for him. But notice what he says he wants to do. He says, I want to make your name great, and you will be a blessing. 
Blessing. However you define blessing, doesn't it always feel good? A blessing always feels like it's something positive, always feels like it's something that makes me better, always feels like it's something that's for the betterment of my well-being. And the last verse within that says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So who is this man, Abraham? Continue with me in chapter 14. Go just flip over just a couple quick chapters. Abraham is the first time we hear of this term Hebrew or uh, what will be later synonymous with Jew in some different uh, aspects. But Hebrew is the first time that the term is used relating to, he- to Abraham in verse 14. I want you to see a few quick things from that. Verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 13. It starts with, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham, the Hebrew. Now Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit of as far as Dan. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. All right, what just happened? What just happened was uh, Herb just got a new car. Somebody stole his rims. I said, what, Herb? Hey, Charles, D, let's go get these rims. We go get the rims, come back, and we take their chain too. No, I'm just playing. Um, <laughs> but, but, but basically with, with Abram, that's what goes down. Like, like they take his people, and the first time he's referred to as a Hebrew, this term that, that means we have a, a, a connection. There is a bond. There is a connection. Now, I don't want to just say ethnicity, but more of a a familial connection that says they took something that was ours. We going to get it back. There's a a clear distinction between the Hebrew people and the people that stole his family member. So the first thing we see is that these Hebrew brothers are separate from everyone else. Continue with me in verses 17. It says, uh, oh, wait, 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 hold on. Not yet. Uh, in verse 13, it says, Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. Allied. So that means that even though as Hebrews they were different, their 318 went to go handle business, they also got along with other people. So just for me to mean different doesn't automatically mean enemy. You can still be beautiful you and I be beautiful me and we can get along. There can still be a unity that takes place. And so the actual word, the the Hebrew word is is co-covenanter. Like, there was a bond amongst differences. Now continue with me in verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating, uh, I'm going to see how, Kedolamer and the kings allied with him, 
the king of Sodom, came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God the Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Notice the two ways that God is connected to Abram in this early stage. We, we come on the scene kind of seeing Abram in, 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 a, in a, something that declares him and his crew, his community as Hebrew. We see um, him getting along with other cultures, and also we see a distinction, though. Melchizedek acknowledges that God the Most High, the creator of heaven, is the one who had Abram's back. That Abram seems to be not only a part of God's bigger plan, but also a part of his specialized plan. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing when you know, like, God exists, and you're like, man, God, like, thank you for all that you've done in the world. But also when you can get personal, like, and God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for how you've touched me. And so we see this beautiful relationship with Abram at an early stage of us being introduced to him. that He's got a special relationship with God. And that's still true for us. But now you fast forward because you got many biblical characters that's going to be like Abram. You got Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, you got a bunch of folks who live this, this kind of nomadic lifestyle where they live in out of tents, where they are constantly moving, where, where they don't necessarily have a home, and you and I have to deal with this reality. It's the reality that, that war exists. It's the reality that, that people conquer people. I know it's hard for you and I to stomach but the reality is, as God describes different ways in which the people of Israel behaved, sometimes it was because of what things happened to them. They were responding to someone attacking them. But other times, it was because God said, it's evil. And I'm going to use y'all to deal with evil. And you and I don't like when somebody else is called evil unless we like when somebody's pointed out doing clear evil. Like, for instance, some of y'all may have had things stolen from you. And you've come home and the door was open, and four or five of your things had walked out. So when someone says thief, the way that hits you hits a bit, a bit deeper, and you are like, yeah, that's evil. Some of you uh, have had someone rob you. Some of you have had someone uh, take advantage. Some of you, and we're going to keep it PG-13, we're going to keep it G. <laughs> See, my kids be trying to watch movies, and they keep trying to push me. I, I forgot G exists. We're going back to G, y'all. Okay. <laughs> but, 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 it, but, but it's evil when... Someone, when a, when a guy takes advantage of a sister, is that evil? Is evil when a, an adult takes advantage of a child? 
Like, like, like what level of evil would need to take place for you to say, yeah, and they should be gone. They should be arrested. Throw away the key. Like, we all have our idea of what it is, and every time we're brought to that, to, to have to engage with the depth of evil, in some ways, that's some of the justice of God within us. Because there is a such thing as wrong. We just vary in what we're willing to allow God to say is wrong. But one of the things God did not like was the way the Canaanite people behaved in the world. There are different expressions of things that they did, sacrifices of little ones, like a variety of things. But their behavior was something that God did not like. And their land is something that God told the people of Israel, this is where you will dwell. This is where you will live. This is where you will be. But that, that group of people was diverse. That group of people, the Canaanites, it was, it was a, a, a mixture of, of people, a mixture of cultures. There were a variety of people living there. But, but here are these verses in, in, in Exodus 22, verse 31. He says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea. From the desert to the Euphrates River, I will give into your hands the people who will live in the land and who will drive them out before you. Now, you and I don't know where the Red Sea is. and We don't know where the Mediterranean Sea is. We don't know where none of that is. But modern day, that would be, um, that would be modern day Israel. That would be Gaza. That would be West Bank. That would be uh, parts of Jordan, uh, as well as parts of Egypt, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. The, the, the Middle East was, the way land was divide, de, defined was often based on large spaces, like mountain ranges or water, not necessarily like lines that we draw. And God kind of did that. In Joshua 21, he says, so the Lord gave Israel all the land he had swore to them to give their ancestors, and he took possession of it, settled them there. The Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he has sworn to their ancestors, not one of their enemies withstood. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. So, Pastor, you're talking a lot. What are you talking about? First, we needed to establish that Abraham had a relationship with God. That God saw fit to choose a place for Abraham. And that that place was defined. It was an area. It was a space. But I want to ask you, why do we think it was given to the people of God? Why do we think this land was given to the people of God? Had it been Canaan? Had it been anywhere else? Why was it given to them? I want to argue, based on the way God behaves and has conducted himself throughout time, that it was given to them to demonstrate his love and to demonstrate great stewardship. In August 2010, 40 of America's wealthiest people made a commitment to give the majority of their wealth to address some of society's most pressing problems. Some of the big names like Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Melinda Gates, now you know you got a lot of money when like y'all split and steal both of y'all, like got to give your whole life to give the money away. 
they had this thing called the giving pledge. And it was, it was something where, uh, following a number of conversations with philanthropists, they said, we're going to set a new standard of generosity among the ultra-wealthy. It says that it's an open invitation for billionaires or those who would be, if not for their giving, to publicly commit to give the majority of their wealth to philanthropy either during their lifetime or in their will. It inspired uh, many, many, many people to give millions upon millions, billions will be approaching at all various income levels with this one goal, to make the world better. Their giving hope is to make the world better. See, when, when God gives you something, even if you are at times uber wealthy, the goal is not, how do I make sure I benefit all from this? How do I get over? How do I ball out? It's a, it's a temptation of all of us. We will all have something that blesses us, and then God will look in your eyes and say, and now what will you do with it? And the same is true for the people of Israel. I was listening to a, a, a Palestinian Christian pastor, and he said, I don't argue that the land is Israel's. I argue what they do with it and how they treat us as a result of having the land. You see, this is a, a, a debate that's been going on for, for years, but I think if we look in God's word, we see some of the beautiful hopes that God has. Somebody flipped a Psalm 86 for us. Psalms 86. Psalm 86. <laughs> Starting at verse 9. Somebody tell us what page we on. 847. Amen. Even the world gets the concept of, of generosity at times. Psalms 86, starting at verse 9, it says, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Flip over to, to Psalm 87. Now, this is, this, is, this is Zion. This is the, the epicenter. This is the, the heart of Christianity uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the Jew. It says, he has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, the city of God. I will record Rahab. And Babylon, among those who acknowledge me, Philistia, too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Okay, so what's happening here? Um, it's, it's, it's a debate that I have locally. I'm from Cleveland originally. I have raised my children here. And because I had so long of an experience in Cleveland, I probably will always say I'm from Cleveland. Even though this is my home, I'm rooted, I ain't going nowhere. But I have a cousin that moved here when he was like in the sixth grade. 
he would come back and forth to Cleveland. And I sometimes will see him, and I'm like, man, you ain't from Detroit, you're from Cleveland. He's like, I've been here since the sixth grade, dude. Like, how long I got to be here before I'm officially Detroit? And sometimes I ask myself, like, I'm like, how long would I be here before Detroiters are cool with me being like I'm from Detroit? Sorry, bro, that's, that boat sailed. You ain't going to never get that. You know? <laughs> but, but, but see, th- this text, leading up to it, if you would have saw the term Zion, you don't think of anyone but a Hebrew. All you think of are people from the Jewish lineage. But even here, as it talks about Zion, it's saying, wait, 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 the verse before, all nations are going to celebrate you. All nations are going to glorify you. And you know what? Let's throw in some names of people who weren't Jewish, but will be a part of the Jewish lineage of our Savior. Let's throw in some communities that were not Jewish, but we will say they were born in Zion. Why? Because God is trying to show us, yes, I chose you. Yes, I'm going to use you as a light unto the nations because I want to see all people drawn to me, and I'm going to do it through you. And so whether you have the land or not is not the issue. It is what do we do with the land? How do I treat you as a result of having the land? Now, I'm going to keep saying some stuff that's going to be Controversial. I'm a, I'm a black man. Uh, I don't get into, like, the, the debates of, like, my pain and suffering is worse than your pain and suffering. I don't think that that benefits anyone. But I want to I help you with a timeline, and I'm, I'm going to say this as humbly as I can. As it relates to information that we have written down, I know that many cultures don't, archi- um, don't categorize or store their information based on writings. Many uh, traditions and cultures are oral, so things are passed down through, through speech. But for what we have written down, I don't believe anyone has been persecuted more than Jewish people. As far as what we have written down, and we can go back and see or, uh, other cultures say we want to eradicate them from our community. They are the reason why our economy sucks. Their children are demon babies, like crazy type stuff that has been made up about Jewish people. And there are many accounts. I'll start with maybe what was the the tipping point took place in 587 when Jews were kind of kicked out of Israel and that started the, the, the diaspora of Judaism, of Jews, having to leave home, go in other places, find other places to live, and start new lifestyles. Just so you can have like a, a general reference point in your mind, slavery took place starting in 1619. That, that, that's where black people have our diaspora, where we were taken from our home, gone to all other types of places around the world, and we began to rebuild. Jews, it happened starting in 587 and even earlier. It's like a whole thousand years beforehand. 
of brokenness, of communities constantly on your neck. Now, am I saying that, oh, so therefore, pastor, we should give them a pass. I'm not saying that. I'm just stating the brokenness of history and the pain that people have have had to endure. And I know firsthand what it's like when you experience trauma and you are fighting not to pass the trauma on to your kids, but sometimes the trauma is so heavy you can't help but pass it on to your kids. And Jewish people have passed different stories along the generations about pain and being displaced. We don't have to talk about only the six million people in the Holocaust. There's so many unhealthy and unfortunate things that have have happened to them. But that's, that's not the only place that pain has existed. Because since those people in Canaan, Arab people have lived in that community. And so there have been different regimes over time that have taken power inside of the Jewish Israel that we know today. And, 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 it's, and it's comparable to the jacked up design of our church building. Have, have, y'all tried to, have you ever tried to go get the kids? You try to get to the gym? Our church building, I don't know who designed a church building. The church building is jacked up in its layout and the way it's structured. But that's because they started with one building. It's like, okay, what are we going to do next? I guess we're going to build this other building. Do they got to connect? Not really, but we'll work that out later. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and so as Rebecca and I were in Israel, the tour guide's like, okay, look at this stone. This is the original stone. But then the Ottoman Empire came, burned it down. So now you see a new stone that's a different color, and this is a new empire that came to rule. Before you know it, we're in buildings that have like three and four layers being constructed on each other because as a new empire comes, and when they come, they burn everything down, and then they rebuild it because they're like, oh, oh, that was a holy place. That was a, that was a sacred place. So we got to save that. We got to preserve that. We got to store that. But with each time you do that, there's a a culture that's present. There's a people that's present. And Arab people have been in Palestinian land, Israel land, as far back as Canaan. And so now what happens when they are moved, when they are displaced, when they experience persecution? See, the persecution that took place in the Holy Land, it's not necessarily like cultural only. Like Christians have been persecuted. Arabs have been persecuted. Jews have been persecuted. It is one of the most interesting, that's not interesting, it is one of the most clearest example of sin that you could imagine. So, so, and so Palestinian people have lived there and 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 there are there are debates over what is a palestinian there are debates over what is a jew if you listen to each group uh they they have varying perspectives on uh what it means to 
be Palestinian American, Jewish American, Jewish Israeli, meaning you live proper in the Israel bounds. But one thing I do know is that over time, these different cultures began to clash more and more. That the way in which uh, superpowers like America or Britain declared what they thought was best. Yeah, it's, I think it's good that we make Israel a state. Or, the, or, that we, or that we divide the country in two. There's these different arguments, these debates that have gone on between these people groups, and, and some people groups are saying, we don't care what anyone else thinks, our way is the only way. So a group like Hamas that you've heard of, Hamas has said over time, Israel has no right to the land, so why would we ever be in an agreement where we talk about splitting it? Split what? Why would I split my home with you? Zion does not mean just extremists, though there are extreme Zionists. Zion simply means uh, a, a person that believes that, that God blessed the people of Jewish descent with this place, and they believe that it's good for folks to return. Some folks are kind of like, yeah, I kind of believe it. Some folks are like, I really believe it. But, 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 but those can be extreme camps, Hamas and Zionists. And I'm not putting them on equal level. What I'm saying, though, is that there can be a loud voice for the people and it not actually be the people. As you start listening to Jews speak, many of them are not happy with the way their leadership is handling things. As you listen to some Palestinians, many of them are not happy. Here's a subtle difference, though. Of the Palestinians that do speak quite often about some of the inhuman, very difficult uh, um, environments that they live in, the world seems to speak out and be in favor of Israel. Palestinians for some time have said, who's speaking out for us? And then you get a group like Hamas, who within their founding documents, it speaks of one of the greatest ways to celebrate God is to give our life for this certain, um, uh, to give our life for this cause, meaning like, like, kamikaze, like blow yourself up for the sake of advancing the cause, like, like, like Hamas stands up and says, they're not being treated fairly. So while Palestinian people are like, we don't really like them, but at least they're speaking up. Where's the rest of the world that's not Arab that believes that, that us living in, a, in an open-air prison is wrong, that believes that a lot of our land that has now been, we've been forced to be upon isn't right? I will tell you that there are Jews that are fighting for unity in Israel. 
There are Jews that believe that there can be reconciliation, that want to see uh, a healthy bond, that believe that Palestinians can be cared for. There are Palestinians that believe that there can be reconciliation. But there's also governments. And just as you and I are grateful for some of our freedoms, we also critique America. If you've ever critiqued America, raise your hand. You see, it's, 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 it's not an uncommon thing, but we live in two different worlds because you can't be Palestinian and critique Hamas. That's your life. You can't, you can't be there and critique that community. And so I got all off my topics and my slides, Lord. So what we're excited to see happen is God do something there. Throw up that, that one picture, brother, of the two flags and the cross in the middle. It has been uh, a, a real sadness that has taken place as we as people of God have had to wrestle with what is the Christian response in this time. Oh, yeah, don't, don't flip through them yet, brother. Don't flip yet. Um, well... One of the things people are seeing, you can go to that next one. Uh, there have been lives lost that are people of Israel. Uh, there have been lives lost. Uh, and, and we say people of Israel, uh, yep. All right, pause. You can pause. Don't go, don't go any further. Um, so there have been uh, people of, there have been people whose lives have been lost. And the reason why we want to make sure that we encourage you is because there are, are voices that want you to say all Palestinians are right or all Palestinians are wrong or all Jews are right and all Jews are wrong. And our hope is that you will be discerning as you see pain. You see real pain. Like, like, like there are Jews that, that, that are burying their children. There are Palestinians now who are being killed by the thousands. And many of the strikes that are taking place are, are damaging entire communities. I don't understand, but I've never been in war. And, and my veterans and folks that are here, like, please forgive me. But I don't understand how we can how you only hit the enemy with something like that. How no civilians are affected by something like that. And so my prayer is that as we are, as, as we are trying to, to respond in a God-like way, I do believe it is totally appropriate for Christians to be saying to the group that claims to be led by God, our Israel brothers and sisters, how much is enough? Are we looking for all of Hamas and you have their names and there's a list and when you get them, we're, we're good? Is the goal to decimate the entire Palestinian people? Which, which by the way, as, as Christmas is around the corner, like Bethlehem, that, that's, that city of Jesus' birth, that's in Palestine. 
I didn't know that until we went there, y'all. I'm sorry. And I've, I've studied the Bible. I've done, I didn't know Bethlehem was in Palestine. But to, but to show you the complicated nature of it all, there's a, there's a, a church there called the Holy Sepulchre. You, you go off that, brother. Go ahead. Come on back. Go blank or something. Yeah. Yep. There's a, there's a church called uh, the Holy Sepulchre. And the Holy Sepulchre is this, this like, it's, it's what's considered the most important place in Jewish history, um, excuse me, in Christian history. As believers, it's, it's like the place where Jesus was crucified and the place where his tomb was empty. So people from all around come to this place. Let me show you the, the complexity of this place, this Bethlehem place where he was born, this Palestinian place. So in, in uh, 1100, this place was conquered, and, and keys to this actual church were given to two Palestinian Muslim families. These two Muslim families, for generations, are in control of opening and closing the church, this Christian church that is the, what we would say is the most important relic that we have today. We get access to it by Muslims, Palestinian Muslims. You see how messy things are in this area of the world? History upon history has been building and norms are present where, where you will find Jewish Palestinians. Why? Because Jewish and Christian people did life in this area in a messy way. But then Muslims came in a time of conquering and brought in their ways. And so it's an it's a environment that is kind of a pressure cooker. And it continues to be one of those things that you and I realize. Some days you can have a bad week. And the kid leave a sock on the floor that last time and you go crazy. You know, like, like some days it doesn't take much to pop, to tip you. And that has been the case in this environment. And so, family, we want you to see two things. First off, don't believe the hype. When people say, oh, well, well, well you know what this means, right? This is the, the rumors of war, so that means Jesus is about to come back. Look, Jesus might come back tomorrow. But, but we are told from the Bible that no man knows the day or time. So, so, so what, what we are called to do is to get ready for his return. That means try to live out godly principles, not try to be trying to find a date and time. And every time there's a war, especially if Israel's involved, we say, oh, here he comes. Don't, don't, don't get sucked in. Don't get sucked in. But also... Don't let your mouth be quiet because you don't know all the history. Um, we're going to end with Proverbs chapter 31. Because you don't need to know all the history to be able to know wrong. 
when you see a mother carrying her son, when you see people being told that they should leave and evacuate their city, but there's nowhere for them to go, are they going to go into the sea? Like, when you see these different statements that, that are not making sense, speak up. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 through 9. It says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Speak up, family. I'm not saying that you need to pick a side. I'm not saying that there's always a right and wrong, but I'm saying God gives you discernment to be able to say, hold on now. I'm watching people grieve. Hold on now. I'm watching people be, be murdered. I'm watching people experience pain. And as a Christian, I can't just be like, well, that's over there. Because it can very quickly be over here. And if we, any of us, any of us, actually pause for a moment, our lineage has this in it. I don't care who you are. You weren't born here. I don't know too many Native. I don't think we have any Native Americans in our church. So because you weren't born here, your legacy has some type of war within its history, some type of pain. Don't wait until it hits here in order for you to speak up and be vocal. And don't wait to start doing research. Now, we, I said last week we was going to send y'all some stuff. Now I'm going to send it to you. Because I, I didn't want to send it to you. And, it, and, and, and there are dope writers that will pull at your heartstrings. So before you know it, you start realizing, dang, I don't Palestinians been planning stuff forever. I don't like them. Them Jews been planning. Like you start seeing that there are motivations of, of, of even writers. And what we want to do is remind you of God. He always wants us to be a light, even in the midst of being with our enemies. How much more is this applicable? Those, those terms, those verses to, to love our enemies was not simply found in, in the New Testament. It was found in, uh, in Leviticus 19, 18. You got that up there for me, little Herb? It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love our neighbor. You see, I'm convinced that if the Jewish people demonstrated love unto the Palestinian people, this situation would look different. Am I saying that Hamas wouldn't try to take advantage? Am I saying that whenever there's pain, you just need to ignore it and pray? No, I believe that there's, uh, you have the ability to defend yourself. I believe that there are uh, just responses to, to danger. But I also believe in showing love and demonstrating that, and that being what leads a people who say, God is leading us. Let's pray, family. God, there's so much we could say. 
so many wars and battles that could be referenced. But now, Lord, we step in because you tell us to to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. And Father, we pray that even from afar, we would feel connected to those who are mourning. Father, we pray for peace. We are asking for uh, your spirit to fall on the leaders. We're asking for uh, Jewish leadership to respond in ways that demonstrate your love. And we're asking for your love to pierce through, um, through Muslim leadership, God, that they would come to know you. And in doing so, Father, change their behavior. We care, Lord, because you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.